Good morning. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray today that you will use your word. Speak to our hearts. Lord, may we see the beauty of true love, not only between a man and a woman, but Lord, between you, our God, and we, your people. Bless this passage today, Lord. In your blessed name, I pray. Amen. I bring to you greetings from Cali, South America, in Colombia, from Chad and Jami. They say, tell everybody hi. I talked to them last night. Today, we're looking at Ruth chapter 4. And as I read this, I thought, man, there's a lot of bad days, but there's good days too. But good days only come about because of God. So that's where I got the title of this message, Bad Days Lead to God Days. I ask you a question today. How is your day? How is your day? Uh, Not all days are equally good, you know. Um, You know you're having a bad day when you get up and put your contacts in your eyes and you find you put both contacts in the same eye. That's not a good thing. Or you, you know you're having a bad day when... Your twin forgets your birthday. I can say that because Karen was a twin, and they never forgot each other's birthdays. But, And those of you young people that might be wearing braces, you know when your braces get stuck together? That's a bad day. That's a really bad day. Or you, you wake up and you want some fruit. You get this beautiful, red, delicious apple. You take a bite out of that apple, and you see only half a worm. That's a bad day. <clears throat> You know you're having a bad day when you find out your waterbed has sprung a leak and then you realize you don't own a waterbed. That's a bad day. And in, in, think about today, you know, it's a bad day when it caused more to fill your car up with gas than it did to buy it. And finally, the coup de gras. You know you're having a bad day when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. That's the way things go sometimes, bad days. As we look at a little background of the book of Ruth, we see some bad days. So back in the first chapter, we find a couple of things going on here. Number one, in chapter one, there's a famine in the land. In chapter one, verse two, Naomi and her husband had to pack the family up and go to a strange country, Moab, because of the famine. In verse 3 of chapter 1, Naomi's husband died after they moved to Moab. And then in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, both Naomi's sons married Moabite women and died about 10 years later. And, And let me say this, death is a result of a falling world, living in a fallen world. So let's look and see here. We we see Naomi, she's all alone. Without her husband, without her sons, she feels deserted by her family and probably by God also. Have you ever feel alone before where you can't really see beyond your circumstances to see what God is really trying to do? That's where Naomi was. 
And the story of Ruth takes place during the dark times of the judges. Because in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, During the time of the judge, that the judges governed or ruled. And judges, we went through that as a sermon series one time. It's just a, a, a wicked series, circle. Israel would uh, fall into sin. God would send judges. They would repent. And they would live godly for a while. And then all of a sudden fall back into sin. Just a circle. And that's the day in which Ruth and Naomi lived. The, the this Ruth, book of Ruth takes place in dark days, bad days, but it ends with God days, and we'll see that in a little bit, where we see the genealogy in the end of the book. Now, the country that Naomi and her family was from was Moab, which was just southeast of Jerusalem uh, from, across the Dead Sea. It was a foreign territory, which our Moabite namesake Ruth was from, a Gentile nation, Gentile. So as we look into this great story, we see three main characters besides God. We see Naomi, Ruth, and a wonderful man named Boaz. Could God be working in a group of people besides the Israelites? I ask you a question. Could God be working in a group of people besides those that live today in the 21st century in the United States of America? I say yes. God works in all tribes and nations and tongues all around the world, for it's all of those that will stand before his throne on that day. The book of Revelation tells us when we're all there around the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Many of us still enjoy, have the joy of having our fathers living with us so we can talk to them and sometimes visit them. But there are many who whose lives have had to go on without their fathers, but because their father is not in the picture anymore for whatever reason. When, when we experience the absence of a parent, our lives pivot one way or another. Our story of Ruth pivots on a time and a place in which one woman's bold act and one man's honorable decision has a definite effect on the genealogy. Look back to chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 with me for a moment. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative in whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourselves known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet. Lie down and he will tell you what to do. And then as we have words on the screen here, it says, All that you say, I will do. Here we have what I call the 12th century version of Match.com taking place. Naomi has a plan to get Ruth married again. She tells Ruth, basically, in essence, you know, I want you to get all dressed up, get all dialed up, put on your very, very best perfume. So far, so good. But then she says something interesting. Then I want you, after you get all dressed up and ready to go, then I want you to go down and work in the field. And after you work in your field is done, go and lie at Boaz's feet. Interesting, huh? But the Bible says that Ruth did exactly as Naomi told her. 
And a few verses later at midnight, on a particular threshing floor in the valley below Bethlehem, Ruth lay at the feet of Boaz and desired to be covered by his coat. Now in that, that culture, that particular gesture is, is uh, indicative of a sealing of a marriage covenant. So that brings us to our text for today. The first thing I want us to see is important priorities. Important priorities. Verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Let's read that again. Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Important priorities. Now, before Boaz can marry Ruth, he must take care of some business. Boaz was Naomi's relative, but not the closest one. For in chapter 3, verse 12, it says this. Boaz says, there is a relative that is closer than I am. Jewish law states that the closest relative has the options on Naomi's property and Ruth. Now, these verses that I just read tells us that Boaz gathered the city officials together and reveals Naomi's ownership of the property. And as Boaz revealing uh, this in verse 5 if you look at this it's kind of oh by the way Ruth comes with a deal also kind of like an aside you know you, you get the land that's great but don't forget Ruth comes with a deal also now the law says that the one who buys the property must marry Ruth and have children to continue that family line the man stops short probably thinking man this is a good deal it's good land it will really help my portfolio, but for the life of me, I just don't see myself getting another wife in the deal also. Kind of like a lot of us, you know, I had, I had enough to do with one, much less reading in the Bible about people who had multiple wives and all, you know, so that's probably where he was coming from. But verse 6 tells us that Boaz contact, um, uh, the Boaz who Boaz contacted for this, he said, I cannot redeem it for myself when this man said that. So uh, he, he said, I just cannot do this because it's going to impair my own inheritance. He said, take my right, the close, this, this redeemer, he said, take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. This tells us what the real priority in this man's life was probably like. He rejects a relationship in order to acquire more money we see that priorities in life are very very important important priorities number two we see a commitment and courtship commitment and courtship 
Now, evidently, Boaz had different priorities, which led to his commitment to Ruth. We see Boaz's commitment to Ruth. Now, I can tell you from reading this that Boaz was 100% prime time madly in love with this young lady, Ruth. The land wasn't even a consideration as he determines his next move. Boaz's attention and love toward Ruth caused her to ask some questions. In chapter 2, verse 10, she asks, Why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? As I read that, I thought about the first time that I ever told Karen that I loved her. At Trinity College in those days, we had two sidewalks. One sidewalk, the girls walked on. Another sidewalk, the guys walked on. We couldn't walk together on those sidewalks. And so we were, it was one night, evening, about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. We were standing, leaning up against a couple of palm trees right at the Y of these sidewalks. And we were just talking about everything in general, nothing in particular, just talking. You know how couples do. And then I looked at her in the eyes, and I knew in my heart that, that God had placed a special love from her there. And I looked to her, and I said, Karen, I love you. She looked at me startled, and we said our goodbyes, and she went up to her room that night. I didn't find out until later because her roommate and, and others told me she went up here and cried for an hour after I told her I loved her. It's kind of like this, you know, why have I found grace? Who am I that you love me type thing? And we see here in Ruth, also in chapter 2, verse 13, Ruth says, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. For you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. After the midnight rendezvous, we see Boaz's commitment to Ruth. From chapter 3, verse 10, he blessed Ruth. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. In chapter 3, verse 11, he submitted to Ruth. He said, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. In chapter 2, verses 14, he provided for Ruth. For the Bible says, he said, come here and eat bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Then a little later, it says, let her glean among the sheaves and do not kick her out of the field. And then in chapter 3, it says, give me your coat, Boaz says to Ruth. Boaz, and she gave her his coat, and he took six measures of barley, which is about six big armfuls of barley, and gave them to Ruth to take back home. Now, here's Boaz, a man that has got his act pretty well together. I like what Richard Strauss said. He said, one reason many marriages are uh, floundering is because the husbands have not prepared themselves for the task. If you're planning to get married, you need to prepare yourself for the task, because it's a daunting task. It's a big task. It's a great task, but it's a lot to it. You know, we see here in the book of Ruth, love in action. The story of love is much unlike those we see today on the movies and TV and what we read about in modern romance novels. Ruth and Boaz acted with consistency and propriety. They showed kindness and respect to each other. Both were open and sincere about their commitment to the Lord and his promises to Israel. Their romance was not a recreational pastime like today. 
Today, it's, it, the idea of romance is kind of like a try it before you buy it mentality. Or as modern language puts it, cohabitation, which is a foreign concept to the biblical view of marriage. The Bible doesn't say anything about living together before you get married. Nothing. I found an interesting, startling statistic. In the past five decades, which is about 50 years, cohabitation has risen some 900%. That means there's approximately 5 million people living together before marriage, if even they go as far as marriage. 5 million people. Ladies and gentlemen, that person you're considering as your life mate is not like a Toyota Camry, which you go test drive before you buy it. Cohabitation demeans both persons. You are people made in the image of God. God intended one man, one woman for one lifetime. Till death do us part. Ruth and Boaz's romance was very special. There was a large deal, legal deal and hurdle to hurdle and, and that stood in their way. So Boaz handled it with dignity and courage. And it's very evident that Boaz was also sensitive to the difference in their respective ages. Now, we don't know exactly what their ages were, but in chapter 3, verse 10, it tells us that Ruth did not run after the young men, whether they were rich or poor. So that tells us he was, she was younger. We don't know exactly how young, probably in her 20s. And we also know that Boaz was Elimelech's brother. He was closest relative, anyway. And Elimelech was Naomi's husband, and so Boaz was probably similar in age to Limelech. We don't know exactly how old it was, but there was a difference in their ages. And after the death of Naomi's husband and sons, Ruth was encouraged to return to her place and her people, Moab. But Ruth, the Bible says that Ruth clung to Naomi because of a genuine love and respect she had for her. Ruth committed to a lifetime relationship with Naomi. For in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, if you'll turn there for just a second, I want you to see these words in print. Ruth 1, 16 and 17. It's where Ruth is talking to Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus, may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. I remember vividly, May 6, 1978, at approximately 7.30 p.m., Karen and I were standing on the stage, much like this, looking at each other's eyes, holding hands. And just behind us, the pastor was giving us and telling us to to give our vows to each other. And I remember that night just like it was yesterday, these very words were repeated by Karen to me. And I repeated them to Karen. Listen, it means so much to know that the one you love is willing to leave the familiar to join together with the unfamiliar and make a life that is full and loving. As you think about love for a second, on the screen, you've got a list of three people. You've got children, women, and men. Have you ever thought about how people really spell love? Kids, children, 
They spell love, and listen to this, T-I-M-E, time. Regardless of what kids may make parents believe, they spell love, T-I-M-E. If they don't get the love or the time they need from their parents or grandparents or whoever, I mark my words, they will go get it from someone else. Kids, spell time, spell love, T-I-M-E. Ladies, let's talk about you for a second. Now, guys, wouldn't you believe women are kind of hard to figure out sometimes? <laughs> Not even a holy grunt. Uh, uh, okay. Women spell love in two ways. T-I-M-E. And also, R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P. Time and relationship. Men, for that special lady that God has brought into your life, she wants closeness that is not necessarily related to physical actions. Openness and understanding, which is not trying to fix her. Listen, when she comes home from a bad day at work or she's had a bad day and she's telling you about it, she does not expect you to sit there and analyze everything she's saying and you try to fix what's going on in her. But listen carefully. Peacemaking. Is saying and showing that you are indeed sorry for that stupid, idiotic thing you did, men. You know, loyalty and esteem, which assures her of your love and that you cherish her as first in importance, second to our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice all I've listed involves personal sacrifice, which is what we see in the, Ruth, in the life of Ruth and Boaz. As I was looking through this, it reminded me of a poem I read years and years ago by Arthur Archer Prince. It goes like this. Blow me a kiss across the room. Say I look nice when I'm not. Touch my hair as you pass my chair. Little things mean a lot. Give me your arm as we cross the street. Call me at six on the dot. A line a day when you're far away. Little things mean a lot. Give me your hand when I've lost the way. Give me your shoulder to cry on. Whether the day is bright or gray, give me your heart to rely on. Give me the warmth of a secret smile to show me you haven't forgot. For now and forever, for always and ever, little things mean a lot. Little things Boaz did for Ruth. He allowed her to sleep at his feet. He allowed her to gather wheat and barley in his fields. And even had his workers leave extra along the way so she could gather extra. He provided roasted grain for her to eat and along with enough for her to take back to Naomi also. Boaz didn't give Ruth anything extravagant. But what he did give, he gave himself. Which is what most women want anyway, guys. You see, there, there are times for extravagant gifts. But guys, for the most part... For a woman, love is not spelt with the newest model vacuum cleaner as a gift, <laughs> you know? And, and guys, love is not spelled with the newest state-of-the-art, best-that-money-can-buy, non-strict frying pan. I, I, let me say this. You better be careful because she might use the frying pan in a manner that's not intended if you do that too much. She, she might appreciate those things, but for the most part, that special lady that God has given you wants you and your attention. Now, guys, you're not getting away from this easy. Ladies, have you ever tried to figure your man out? 
<laughs> that's, that's even harder than men trying to figure women out. How do, men, men are much easier to please than women. A man can spell love a couple of different ways. You know, M-A-K-I-T-A, Makita, or C-R-A-F-T-S-M-A-N, Craftsman, or Milwaukee, or DeWalt, or whatever, you know. Uh, remember one thing, though. A man, even though he loves these physical things, he will respond to a hug out of the blue or a peck on the cheek or even just a note telling him you love him. And we see in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, how Boaz responded to Ruth's treatment of her mother-in-law. And this is important, guys. Listen, and women, how you treat your mother-in-law is very important. Somebody said one time that Adam and Eve were the, were the happiest couple in the world because they didn't have mother-in-laws. So, I don't know if that's true or not. But, but in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says this. Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord. The God of Israel, who under, his wing, who, uh, who, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Men, time and relationship goes a long way. Ladies, ladies, even though God created man with a logical outlook, he still responds to time and relationship. It doesn't hurt to throw in a goodie tool once in a while, you know, it doesn't hurt. As I was looking at this, I saw the, the relationship there and I... I'd like to share with you a very emotional and transparent look uh, about the life that God gave Karen and I as we loved each other. These words are taken from a book called A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. And I encourage you, if you experience the death of a husband or a wife or a loved one that's real close, I encourage you to grip that book, A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. But I take this phrase, this, this little brief peace and make it personal for the few years that Karen and I were married we feasted on love every mode of it solemn and merry romantic and realistic sometimes as dramatic as a thunderstorm and sometimes as comfortable and unemphatic as putting on your soft slippers no part of our heart or body remained unsatisfied Karen was my Ruth. I was to Karen a Boaz. Was it perfect? Nope. But neither of us never left our first love for each other. We experienced all the ups and downs that any couple will experience. But your love will never fade. Listen, it's kind of like the ocean. You know, the ocean's always got these waves going up and down, up and down, up and down. And through the middle of this is that constant love you have that constant love you have for that person that God has given you. But you have these ups, man, everything is perfect, yeah. Then you have these downs down here where, you know, uh, you, don't, you, you love each other, but you don't necessarily like each other at that time, you know? You ever had that before? And you ups, great. And you go back down to a down, it's, it's kind of like mama looking at, at both you, the guy, and the kids and saying, listen, you're standing on my last nerve, get off. These are bad days, but there's always behind bad days, there's always God days, there's always good days. Listen, when there are bad days in your life, 
God always is faithful. God is always faithful to bring about God days in the end. Great is his faithfulness. We see the important priorities along with the commitment and courtship. We see the bad days experienced by Ruth and Naomi, but now the bad days lead to, good day, to God days. Now on the screen, I have a little phrase. I think it's up there. Yes. In the Old Testament, the new is concealed, but in the New Testament, the old is revealed. In the book of Ruth, we see a great love story where Ruth, though experiencing some of the worst days imaginable, being led by a sovereign God to a place where she would know true love again, but in a very special, special way. The Bible here in our passage talks about a special person. It uses the word redeemer, kinsman redeemer. Some translations say family redeemer. Some say guardian redeemer. Others may say kinsman redeemer or just redeemer. The phrase is a combination of two words, kinsman. Now, the root of that word kinsman is what we call today the next of kin. In the south in Georgia, we'd say kiss and kin, you know, kiss and kin, kiss and cousins, whatever. It seemed it to be involved in the documents dealing with an inheritance. It requires information about the closest living blood relative. But the other word, redeemer, it's someone who buys back or regains the possession of a property or possibly even a person that belongs to another. The redeemer pays the price to buy back the property or person. Putting these two words together means the closest male relative who willingly regains the possession of something or someone by paying the redemption price. Moses gives us the basis for this in Deuteronomy 25. I'm not going to take time to read it, but in essence, if someone dies without a son and his brother, his brother was expected to marry his brother's wife in order to preserve the name of the one who died through the firstborn of the wife. So we've seen important priorities and commitment and courtship. Now we see the main crux of this passage, the kinsman redeemer. There's four qualifications for the kinsman redeemer. Number one, the kinsman redeemer needs to be a blood relative. Now remember, the new is concealed in the old and the new reveals the old, okay? Let's reveal the first great truth. We are lost in our dead and our sins. There's no way we can change our condition. We are slaves of sin. We need a blood relative to redeem us. There has to be a blood relative. There needs to be a blood relative. So let's see what the Bible has to say about this blood relative. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, made of a woman, made under the law, in order that he might redeem those under the law so that we can receive the adoption as sons. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, who also existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Just as Boaz, a blood relative, redeemed Ruth, God has provided a blood relative, Jesus Christ, who became flesh and dwelt among us. 
He walked like us. He talked like us. He even wept like we do. He experienced agony like we do. He indeed is a blood relative who God himself has chosen to be that special person, that kinsman redeemer who alone is able to redeem from the life of sin. Jesus is our blood relative. That's the first qualification. The second qualification, the kinsman redeemer needs to possess the required resources. In chapter 2, verse 1, we see these words. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech named Boaz. Notice those words, a man of great wealth. Naomi knew that Boaz had the necessary resources to pay the price for Ruth. Listen to what the New Testament says to open this up for us. Hebrews 9, indeed under the law almost everything, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. Again in Hebrews chapter 10, therefore when he comes into the world he says sacrifice and offering you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. After saying the above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, you have not ta- ha- nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. He said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 1 Corinthians 6, we have been bought with a price. 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1, and him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And finally, 1 John 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Not only is Jesus Christ our blood relative, but he definitely possesses the resources necessary to pay the price for our redemption. For his resource is his own precious, perfect blood he shed for us. He began bleeding before the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says he sweat great drops as it were blood. He was bruised and beaten unmercifully, shedding blood during the beating before the cross. As they took him out to the cross, he shed blood from the places where they put the spear in his side, his nails in his hands and his feet. And after the spear has pierced his side, blood and water came forth. And at this point, as the song says earlier that we sang, in the darkness he cried to Telestai, it is finished. He gave everything he had, his time, his blood, his body, He turned the cup of death over and showed that not one drop was left. It is finished. Here is the commitment of Christ to go as far as needed to purchase our redemption. 
Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He is a blood relative, and he has the resources to pay the price. The third qualifications for the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer needs to be prepared and ready to pay the price. Not only does he need to possess it, but he needs to be ready to, to pay it. As we look back at our story in Ruth, the closest redeemer, he's unnamed, we don't know who he was, said yes. But it seems evidently that all he wanted, really wanted was the land, which represented more money and wealth. But, but, when he found out that Ruth was part of the deal, he quickly backed out. But we see Boaz, he's willing to pay the purchase price, even though the closest relative would not do so. So, how does the New Testament open this up for us? Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not an owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned for the sheep. I am, Jesus said, the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 1 John 3, 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Listen, Jesus is willing and was willing to pay the price. He gave himself a ransom for all people. Boaz had 10 witnesses to his transaction. He had 10 witnesses to the declining of the other family member. Boaz was willing to buy the land, redeem Ruth, and even take Naomi as his own mother-in-law. He was willing to make the purchase. Notice the last phrase of that First Timothy passage, the testimony given at proper time. Boaz had 10 elders as witnesses. I'm here to tell you today that all of heaven was witness to the price Jesus paid for our atonement. Just as Boaz was prepared and ready to pay the price, Jesus was ready and prepared and ready to pay the price that was necessary for our redemption. For we see in his prayer in the garden, not my will, but your will, O Father, be done. He's a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Then the fourth qualification of a kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer needs to be prepared and ready to not only pay the price, but he needs to be ready to take the bride. Which has shown us briefly where Boaz was willing to take a foreign woman as his wife. Jewish people in the Moabites were at odds for each other for years. Yet Boaz said, I will take her for myself. The Moabites were descendants of Lot. Boaz was willing to take a bride and to fulfill the Old Testament law of raising up a son that can carry on Naomi's son and the name of Ruth's first husband. He's the symbol. Boaz is the symbol of our kinsman redeemer, the picture of our kinsman redeemer, who is Jesus Christ, the one who paid for my sin. How does the new show this? Ready to take the bride. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. 
It was given to, to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Second Corinthians, Paul records these words from God. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you a chaste virgin, a pure virgin. All who have accepted Jesus Christ are the bride of Christ. We have to have a kinsman redeemer because all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But I find the words in Psalm 49, verses 7 through 9, the greatest reason why we need a kinsman redeemer. No man can redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. Redemption does not come so easily, for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and see and not see the grave. Here we are, sinful people living in bad days. Because we cannot do anything for ourselves. We can't help ourselves. We cannot earn our own redemption. We cannot pay for our own redemption. Sin pulls us down. But bless God, it's the grace of God that he has provided through the kinsman redeemer that lifts us up. Here are the God days. The God days, the kinsman, he's the one who is the blood relative. Jesus took on flesh. He is the one who possesses the necessary resources to pay for mine and your sins. He did not remain in the grave either. For the Bible says on the third day, he rose again. He rose again. Overcoming death, hell, grave. Having the victory. Victory is in Jesus Christ. The one who was willing to take the bride. As I thought about that, he's willing to take me? Wow. He's willing to take you? He's willing to take the church as his bride for eternity. And just as Boaz chose Ruth, Jesus Christ chose us before the foundation of the world. We make his people our people. We belong to him and all of his family. You know, if you've ever planned a wedding, it takes time to plan and execute it. God has been waiting until the appointed time. Only the Father knows when it's going to happen. I found out startling statistics that in 2022, the average cost of a wedding is between $29,000 and $31,000. Not exactly pocket change for most of us, right? We cannot afford the wedding on our own. We need help. We cannot attend the wedding and the wedding feast planned for us by the Father in heaven without a payment of the kinsman redeemer. You know, I think one of the best parts of a wedding is the giving and receiving of a ring. On the screen is a picture of a ring. Just a picture, like any wedding ring. How does this show us? What does this have to do with anything? It's made of very precious and costly material. Our kinsman redeemer's blood is the most precious and costly thing known to this world. It's a complete circle, no beginning, no end. Our kinsman redeemer is eternal, having no beginning 
and no ending. The ring is a seal of the marriage covenant. Our kinsman redeemer has given us a seal. In Ephesians 1, it tells us that the Holy Spirit of promise was given as our guarantee. That seal that we belong to Christ. The book of Ruth chapter 4 verse 7 talks about the taking off of a sandal and exchanging it. That's the way they did that. That's the way they sealed the deal back then. They took off a sandal and give it to the other person. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Just as I mentioned before, it takes a long time to plan and execute a wedding. And God has been preparing the bride, the church, to be united to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, for eternity past and as long as he deems necessary to wait. We don't know how long it's going to be. That's the courtship of the bride and the bridegroom. The father making sure everything and everybody is ready and everybody's on the list that should be there to be invited. One day, what a glorious day that's going to be. We're going to sit together with our bridegroom around the table. God provided for Ruth, but for also Naomi, because Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. These words are on the screen. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. As we think about those words, God provided for Naomi through Ruth. I mean, God provided for Ruth through Naomi, through, the birth, Ruth, through birth's, Ruth's child. Listen to chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The ending of this story is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Boaz took Ruth as his wife. How does the story end? The marriage of Ruth and Boaz, a Gentile and a Hebrew. From Ruth and Boaz came a son whose name was Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, the man after God's own heart. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 1, and the same words that were used here, same names are used, but listen to these words. For in, in our passage in chapter 4, down in verse 21, Salmon fathered Boaz. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, Salmon, father of Boaz, by Rahab. Who in the world is Rahab? Rahab is listed in Joshua, the book of Joshua, and the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with the disobedient. God preserved a harlot for our Redeemer's bloodline. He preserved a Gentile for our Redeemer's bloodline. She was not only a harlot, but as I said, she was a Gentile. She was chosen by God, loved by God, and preserved by God. God uses extraordinary circumstances to produce seem like ordinary results 
But I'm here to tell you today, nothing is ordinary when it comes to God. God never leaves his people without a way back to him. For Ruth, it was Boaz. And, uh, and for Naomi, it was Ruth and Obed. For you and I, it's through Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Two questions as we apply this at the end. Two quick questions. I won't pick on you guys for a second. Men, are you like the unnamed relative whose priorities were selfish? Priorities of making money instead of building up a family? Priorities of taking family to the beach instead of to church? Priorities of watching TV instead of spending time with your kids and your wife? A child is going to remember who was there, not necessarily what you spent on them. Kids will outgrow toys and outfits, but they never outgrow time and love. Listen, if you're there and you, you, you're not sure, if you would like to know more, I invite you to come and talk to one of us as elders. And we will introduce you personally to our kinsman redeemer. Second question. Are your days God days? Or are your days bad days because you don't know the kinsman redeemer? Do you know the kinsman redeemer personally? One other question to take it a step further. Are you communing with him daily through prayer and his word? If you desire for someone to pray with you, the elders are here to pray with you. All relationships become stronger through time invested in that relationship. Boaz invested time and resources in Ruth, and their love grew. Karen and I invested years in each other, and we became like Ruth and Boaz to each other. But greater than that, our Father in heaven, before the foundation of the world, invested eternity past in us through his beloved Son and payment for our sin. And is going to invest eternity future in us as the bride of Christ. Are your days bad days or God days? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, the days in which we live are terrible, sinful, and desperate days. There's a famine in the land of your word. Lord, we lack the proper priorities and a lack of commitment to your work of spreading the gospel. We cling to you, Lord Jesus, our only hope of redemption for our sin. I pray that your spirit has used your word to illumine our hearts as to how desperate we are in our need of a kinsman redeemer, Lord. May everyone here and those watching through YouTube realize that you've not left us without a redeemer. You have given us Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, who redeemed us with his precious blood. For we are his child forever and ever and ever. By the name of our kinsman redeemer, we pray. Amen.